You are listening to the sermons of Concordia Lutheran Church, located at 3144 South Home Avenue in Berwyn, Illinois. We invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 9 o'clock a.m. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Sequels are a big deal these days. We get lots and lots of sequels, whether it's in movies. Uh, sometimes we also see uh, old TV shows keep getting rebooted. Uh, I think 90210 has been in plans for several reboots. There was the, there was the old show uh, back when I was you know, younger. And then, the, uh, and then the new one came out several years ago, and I think they were planning on having another one because 90210 was that brilliant. My favorite sequels, though, um, uh, to illustrate how sometimes sequels get bigger and better as they go, I think my favorite sequel is my favorite Christmas movie, Die Hard. Um, Die Hard is the Christmas movie. It's just a man who wants to spend Christmas with his family, right? Um, so uh, in the first one, uh, John McClane is just a regular guy. He's a police officer. He does regular human things. And the only reason he succeeds is he's both lucky and really tough. Like, he can walk on glass, and he's like, just kind of keeps going rather than giving up. By the time you get to the last one, he is driving cars off medians into helicopters. He killed a helicopter with a car. And he uh, drove a semi up a collapsing parking structure and then leapt onto the back of a jet. It always just gets a little bigger and better, right? Every sequel needs to top the one before it, and it just gets more and more ridiculous. I mention this because the Easter vigil sets up one exodus with its sequel. The first exodus is pretty amazing, right? Miracles and crazy things are happening and water's drowning armies. But that's the normal one. The second exodus is the one that's bigger and better and more mind-blowing, even cooler than John McClane jumping off the, onto the back of a jet. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to take a look at how the exodus in, out of Egypt, the crossing of the Red Sea, shows us what Christ does for us in the second exodus, the exodus from death and hell. So, in both of these stories, we have a people who are in slavery. For the Israelites, they are in slavery to Egypt. Pharaoh specifically. Now, you probably heard me say this, but their kind of slavery is not the kind of slavery that we think of when we think of slavery. In, in American slavery and Roman slavery, they owned people, they bought and sold them, they could have nothing that was their own. That's not how it worked. The Israelites had their own stuff, their own families, their own fields, their own animals. What they were, however, was forced labor. So instead of going out to work in their fields that day, Pharaoh and his goons would come by and force them to work on construction projects. And that's how they built the cities, by forcing Israelites to work like that. We call it slavery because they couldn't leave. 
It's not like they could quit. There was no severance pay. You just, they had to do it. They were stuck there under the power of Pharaoh. We, on the other hand, don't have a Pharaoh who stands over us with whips or making us bricks. We are slaves to something different. We're slaves to sin. Every single one of us born into that condition. What does that mean? What it means is, I'll I'll give you an example. It's when I forget to do the things my wife asked me to do, right? So uh, not too long ago, we bought this big, heavy thing, got shipped to us, and uh, we ended up having to return it. So she took care of everything, got it all packed up, and put the shipping label on it and all that stuff. And then she asked me to carry it to the post office, get it mailed. I go, yeah, I'll do that. That's right, I'll do it today, honey. No, that didn't happen. And so I, I, she pointed that out to me. I said, okay, okay, I'll do it today. Yeah, not so much. I'll do it today. And finally, I, I ended, after a few days of being like, oh, I can't believe I forgot, I finally took it. Did I wake up that morning and say, Naha, wife, I will defy you? Of course not. She might think otherwise. (laughs) But that's not what I was thinking. I was a slave to my sin. I fell prey to my weakness, my forgetfulness, my laziness. That's just a little example, but we see bigger ones. Addiction is a big one that's destroying communities right now, especially opioid addiction. I don't think anybody wakes up and says, you know what, today I want to start a habit that will destroy all of my relationships, break my family apart, and make everybody angry at each other, and I will probably overdose. Sounds like a plan, right? Of course. Nobody does that. They just get caught in something they can't control. And even if they fight to get out, so often they can't. That's slaves to sin. And we all have stuff like that, don't we? Whether it's the little thing or the big one. Both these stories have slavery. Both of these stories also have salvation. Both of them have salvation through baptism, in fact. In the Exodus story, we see God's people being in slavery and then someone shows up, Moses, sent by God and he does all these miracles and he teaches them about the promise that God gave Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and they do amazing things and then finally on one night they sacrifice a lamb and they paint the blood on the doors and it marks God's people and the lamb's uh, blood and life buys them out of Pharaoh's hand and Pharaoh wakes up the next day and sends them out and the, the Egyptians are so glad to see them go they throw all their wealth at him. It's like, get out of here! And then they get to the Red Sea. Pharaoh's army is trying to chase them down to bring them back. The army of slavery out to get them and God splits the Red Sea. The people walk through water and the water drowns the forces of slavery. Finally, they're free. Slavery is gone, defeated, destroyed in the waters of the Red Sea and they live free as God's people. 
Second Exodus is a lot like that, except bigger and better. Someone is sent from God, his one and only son, Jesus Christ, and he does all of the miracles and even better. This isn't darkness and gnats or flies. This is healing and feeding 5,000 and raising the dead and doing all of these amazing things. And that same person doesn't go to, the, go to Jerusalem and kill a lamb. He offers himself as a sacrifice, his own blood. And that blood marks you and me as his people. And then he walks you through the water. No Red Sea but the waters of baptism. And when Satan sees you about to be taken from his grasp, his armies rush out at you and they're drowned. And that amazing flood. In baptism, you are freed from death and the devil and sin to live in a new life. That's what Martin Luther says in his small catechism. When he asks the question, what benefits does baptism give? It it works uh, forgiveness of sins, rescues from death and the devil, and gives eternal salvation to all who believe this as the words and promises of God declare. God rescued his people through the Red Sea to give them a promised land. God rescues you through baptism to give you eternal life. Now both also have, not just slavery and deliverance, but a people who are tempted to turn back. In this story, you can see exactly what happens after God's people walk to the Red Sea. Everything's been going great so far. God has been doing these super cool miracles. He's been beating up the Egyptians, and the Israelites are doing great. All their crops are fine. Their animals are good. They've got all this wealth. And then they get to the Red Sea, and they see Pharaoh's army coming, and they're like, Moses, were there no graves in Egypt? You know, you could have killed us there instead. We would have been so much better off if we were still slaves. And it's not just there that they do that. When they get hungry on the way to Mount Sinai, they say the same thing. When they get thirsty wandering through the wilderness, they say the same thing. When there isn't enough meat, they've got manna every day, food picking up off the ground. But oh, we don't have any meat. Wasn't it so much better back in Egypt where they just had meat lying on the street? And every step of the way, whenever it got tough, they said, you know, life was so much better when we were slaves. And that can happen just to us too. When the Christian life gets hard, we can say, you know what, this, isn't, this just isn't right to be faithful today. It's so much easier to let this slide right now, to take the easy route, to maybe not suffer a little bit, to put faithfulness behind whatever is expeditious. Not too long ago, the United Methodist Conference got together and they had this huge vote. They've been struggling. Uh, between the Western Methodists and their uh, ideas about humanity and religion. 
uh, and the African and s global south Methodists who are rapidly growing around the world while the American and Western Methodists are rapidly shrinking. And in the middle of this, they had this vote about human sexuality and this huge explosion of conflict between those two groups. Um, and what's been happening is the Americans have money and the Africans have people. And often the way it works is they say, do our thing or we won't send you money. You gotta believe and teach like we do. And I wanna read you something from Dr. Jerry Kula, who is a Methodist professor uh, in Liberia. This is what he says. Unfortunately, some United Methodists in the US have the very faulty assumption that all Africans are concerned about is US financial support. Well, I am sure, being sinners like all of you, some Africans are fixated on money. But with all due respect, a fixation on money seems more of an American problem than an African one. We get by on far less than most Americans do. We know how to do it. I'm not so sure you do. If anyone is so naive or condescending as to think we would sell our birthright in Jesus Christ for American dollars, then they simply do not know us. We are seriously joyful in following Jesus Christ and God's holy word to us in the Bible. And in truth, we think many in the U.S. and parts of Europe could learn a great deal from us. The United Methodist churches, pastors and lay people who partner with us, acknowledge as much. Please understand me when I say the vast majority of African United Methodists will never, ever trade Jesus and the truth of the Bible for money. Isn't that awesome? This sort of thing happens pretty regularly. People threaten to cut off support and they say, I would rather starve than give up Jesus. This is the example where we can all learn from this. The faithfulness of the men and the women who struggle against all of this, faithful in the Christian life with nothing. When we're here with freedom and money and happiness and all of that, I encourage you to follow their example. Tonight we tell the story of Exodus and pair it up with the even greater one. That's why this story features prominently in the readings from the Easter Vigil. It's because in the Easter Vigil, you're standing there like, like you're at the edge of the Red Sea. Christ is in the grave and you're just waiting for the waters to part till you walk through and you see your risen Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the sermons of Concordia Lutheran Church. For more information about getting involved, please visit concordiaburwin.org. Like us on Facebook at Concordia Lutheran Church and Little Lambs.